Hello everyone, and welcome to the Strange Matters Podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is mysterious, bizarre, and unexplained. I am Sean, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Eric. What's up, everybody? So in this episode, we'll be discussing a few topics that are all about the apocalypse for humanity. Now, this episode is the second half to our most recent Patreon-exclusive episode, in which we talked about superbugs and false vacuum theory, both of which have the chance to wipe out a big number of human lives or the universe in total. So, and if you listeners are interested in not only supporting Strange Matters, but getting access to our other monthly bonus episodes, please check out our page at patreon.com slash strangematters. For this episode, we would especially like to thank our newest patrons to the show, Claudia, Dario, Aldo, Lizette, Amanda, and Pat. So thanks a lot, guys, for supporting the podcast. All right, so the first topic we're going to be discussing about are viruses. Not just any virus, but super viruses. In stark contrast to our super bugs. So we're not going to cover, we're not going to double dip you guys on information. This, the super viruses are completely different from super bugs. Right. So the name super virus, though similar to that of the super bug, just means that a virus that is particularly powerful or resistant to treatment. So the difference between bacteria and virus is bacteria are single-celled prokaryotic organisms. And they are generally considered to be living organisms. And these are capable uh, also of existing outside of a living host. So, for example, there can be bacteria on like a doorknob. You cough on your hand, you touch your doorknob. Um, Somebody else touches that doorknob. Bacteria gets on their hands and winds up in their, their eyes or the back of their throat or something. Viruses, on the other hand, are a little bit different. Um, They're acellular organisms, so they're not made up of cells. And in contrast, while scientists are currently kind of unsure if they're living or non-living, they're generally considered to be, for the most part, non-living. So viruses require a living host to survive. And what they kind of do is they go into their host and they hijack the host cells since they don't have their own and they kind of reproduce and hijack their their dna machinery and use that to reproduce themselves and while they can be vaccinated against many of them in fact i would go as far as to say most of them are incurable so for example the common cold hiv stuff like that so stuff that we can we can kind of you know manage symptoms but we can't cure them so This means the host must have a strong enough immune system to fight off the infection on its own. And bacteria, going back to kind of contrast the two, bacteria can actually be useful. So, for example, people, myself right now, I have bacteria all over my body. I have it in my stomach, for example. We all do. And this bacteria, um, without this, we'd be unable to digest food properly. Viruses, on the other hand, are generally naturally not useful however you know with some advances in you know genetic engineering this concept in and of itself is starting to be challenged a little bit all right and so another key difference is that viruses are 10 to 100 times smaller than bacteria now this means they are capable of living within the host cells kind of as we mentioned before whereas bacteria generally lives outside of them And this is another reason why they are so much more difficult to treat. 
Yeah. And when we think about viruses causing an apocalyptic event, several kind of movies come to mind. So, for example, The Happening, Contagion, Resident Evil, and even movies like 28 Days Later. So, you know, this is kind of a scary concept that Hollywood has capitalized on in order to strike fear into people and develop, you know, new horror movies. So a common premise in all these movies is that a viral outbreak of some sort leads to an epidemic that spreads over the whole world. And in this setting, frequently man becomes a greater threat to its own existence than the actual virus itself. So people begin to fall into a every man for himself type of mentality that leads to destruction, thieving, and, and looting, and stuff like that. Now, a virus ideal for such an apocalyptic epidemic would have to have several different traits. It would have to be incurable and difficult to treat, like the Ebola virus, nearly always fatal, like rabies, and extremely infectious and contagious, like the common cold, and also having a long incubation period, like HIV. Now, this last quality would make it extremely difficult to locate patient zero, which is where the virus infected its first host, and therefore making it extremely difficult to quarantine in time. For example, you would have people being infected on the street, then going to work and infecting people there, going home, infecting their families, going to social gatherings, and then maybe even getting on an airplane and going to China all before they even experience their very first symptom. Some scientists believe that these criteria are best characterized by certain strains of the flu. If you think back to when we had outbreaks of the bird flu, also called the avian flu or H5N1, all over the world, there were massive death tolls. The other interesting thing to consider is that some viruses mutate faster than others. So the flu and Ebola, for example, mutate much, much faster and therefore become more difficult to vaccinate against. So one might think that even if we did produce a vaccine against a super virus, it might even mutate and rear its head again just a few years later. So some possible apocalyptic viral epidemics that have been discussed in theory. So one of these is a rabies flu hybrid. So some people suspect that a combination of these two viruses might produce something similar to the zombie virus. Rabies is an infection that affects the central nervous system, and it can cause infected humans to kind of go mad and basically lose their mind. So scientists fear that if this were to be combined with flu-like tendencies, so again, it spreads quickly through the air, it's extremely infectious, um, then scientists think that this could result in a sort of rage virus. So the rage virus was popularized in the 28 Days Later movie. And the good news is that rabies, despite its year-long incubation period, which again we said is a bad thing, once it's fully set in, it, it's usually fatal within a week or so. So it's not like it would take a long time before these zombie people would begin to die off. Right, but the danger there is that in that year-long incubation period, they could be infecting other people. So it kind of sounds like wherever this virus pops up, it might spread around, and then, you know, some months or a year later, you'll have this massive outbreak of these super violent zombie-like virus people, and then they would quickly die off, but... 
I expect for at least a few weeks there will just be like absolute hell trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So to take that a step further, we could kind of even think of it like the uh, Walking Dead series. So maybe we're all already infected and we don't even know it. Maybe we're all infected with some super virus that has a, for example, five-year incubation period. And, you know, in this five years, it's managed to come in contact with every single person on Mm -hmm. Earth. It's just nobody's had symptoms yet. And it's just waiting for kind of one moment for it to just flip over and then kind of turn on. Exactly. So this is kind of what scares me the most is because viruses are in general so difficult to treat. And with these long incubation periods, you know, we, we could all be infected and, you know, maybe in the, in the, in a week, the whole world, the whole population could be completely wiped out. Right. So another apocalyptic viral epidemic that has actually recently been a a huge problem over in Africa is called Ebola. So Ebola causes hemorrhagic complications. So basically this means people begin bleeding from unusual um, parts of their body. So for example, um, a lot of people are most concerned about with something called Ebola hemorrhagic fever, which is where patients get this fever and then they become bleeding uncontrollably from places like their eyes. Um, And again, this has already killed thousands of people in Africa. It's actually been the subject of a couple movies um, the names of those movies escape me at the moment, but it's kind of terrifying because, you know, it's it's the the Ebola virus is actually transmitted through a certain species of monkeys, and um, you know it it causes people to have these really scary side effects, so bleeding out of your eyes and stuff like that. It's kind of terrifying. It does kind of sound like the um, rage virus from Twenty Eight Days Later. Exactly. It started from a monkey, then you have these people just bleeding out of their eyes and going crazy. Right. So if we combine Ebola virus and the rabies virus and the flu, we'd have a pretty nasty combination. There we go. Scientists make it happen. Let's do it. It's kind of funny. It always seems like science is trying to, um, like mankind is trying to always push the limits of our scientific abilities, even if we know that could potentially wind up being very bad but just because humans are such curious creatures. Yeah. Like, well, that's what they talk about with uh, like weaponized viruses and stuff, like weaponized smallpox, where they say, you know, we have this and it's very safe, but if it were to happen to get out, it could kill pretty much everybody on the planet. But it's like, why even make that in the first place? It's just to, to see if you can and to study it. But right. is the risk worth the reward of knowing you know, the mechanisms for how this particular virus works. I mean, maybe if you make these super deadly viruses, you can help prevent maybe naturally causing ones. Um, But it is kind of scary to think of all the nasty stuff that some labs have hidden in their, you know, five-story bunker basements and stuff. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, or not a lot of people, but I think sometimes this sort of research is concealed in the name of military advancement and protection but in reality it's like how unethical would it be to release a biological weapon like this into any sort of community you know it'd just be like 
horrific. Yeah. And Ebola in particular. So Ebola is actually classified as a CDC biosafety level four. And basically this just means that it's one of the most deadly viruses on the planet. So Ebola has a 50 to 90% mortality rate if you actually get the Ebola virus. And the only reason we've been able to keep it controlled is because it has, again, a really short incubation period and victims experience their symptoms shortly after infection. So it is scary to think, though, that what if you do have an outbreak of that, though, in a highly populated area, you know, if some person were to go visit some village in Africa and they manage to get this and then they fly back and can affect countless amount of people before they even start showing symptoms, kind of like we've talked about before, then that's when you get like these massive outbreaks. But unfortunately, we have systems in place to prevent that from happening, but the risk is still always there. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a very real concern, and it did, it did actually happen as, you know, the United States was sending over a bunch of doctors and healthcare workers over to Africa to provide relief and, you know, help people contain this virus and treat the sick people. And um, there are a couple instances when a doctor came back to the States and brought Ebola with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately, like you said, we have very good, you know, procedures in place to prevent this. And it was a very nationally known um, epidemic and very worldwide known epidemic. But, you know, The United States in particular was well prepared for it. And I remember this is just within the last year or two. I remember being at the hospital, having to go through all this Ebola training. And it was, it was kind of annoying at the time because it's like, what are the odds of me actually seeing this here at my little hospital in Virginia? Right. But that's why America was so well prepared for it and why it hasn't become an issue over here. So anyways, you know, I think the, the virus apocalypse scenario kind of scares me the most, especially when you take into consideration these different traits that we were talking about that can make a virus so dangerous. So this long incubation period, this high mortality rate, um, viruses that are incurable and you know extremely infectious. So when you take all these kind of viruses and put them together into one, it's really kind of a horrifying scenario. And it seems like every couple of years we have news of, you know, a new deadly virus that we kind of mentioned before, like the the avian flu some years back, the Ebola. So it's like I've always had the fear, like it's only a matter of time before one of these super viruses happens in a highly developed nation, a highly populated area. And that's when we have a huge outbreak. So, I mean, fortunately, we have been pretty lucky with the super viruses that have kind of popped up in the last decade, but maybe time will only tell when the big one really hit. Yeah, absolutely. Got to watch out for those big ones. Like, and the other thing that's scary about this is that, you know, animals can transmit these viruses too. So we were talking about the avian flu. There was also swine flu. So, you know, flu being transmitted through birds and pigs and stuff like that. So livestock, really huge problem. Livestock has terrible hygiene, Um, but anyways, yeah, super virus is pretty scary. And the other thing that's scary about this compared with like the vacuum, uh, the false vacuum theory is that we would be very aware of all the death and misery 
and hopelessness around us as the whole world became infected with a super virus. Right. It definitely wouldn't be the instantaneous death of the false vacuum, as you said, or a gamma ray burst. It would be something that we would follow, be following on the news as it happens and spread. And if it was big enough, if it spread far enough around the world, there really wouldn't be anything we could do about it in time. And as we're talking about 50 to 90% mortality rates just for Ebola. So if we have something like that, I mean, we could see the end of the world as we know it. Yeah, totally. Very scary. Uh, So with the super viruses, we have a more biological danger. And next we're going to be segueing into something more mechanical and human-made. And that is the AI takeover apocalypse. Now, this is a common trope in many sci-fi and futuristic fictions. This scenario when the dreaded machines take over control of the Earth from us humans. Now, this event has been popularized in works like The Terminator, The Matrix, iRobot. As much as most everyone perceives this as merely speculation and imagination, there are also those who fear that as we as humans come closer to creating a true artificial intelligence, or AI that we may also be bringing about our own doom. Yeah, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. It seems like even though we have all these somewhat well-founded theories about technology eventually overcoming mankind, recognizing how bad humanity is for the Earth and, you know, destroying mankind, even though that's a theory and it's a very scary theory and, you know, somewhat real, I think, Um, it seems like we're always constantly pushing our scientific boundaries regardless of this fact, just because we as humans are so curious. Right. So we're basically building our own undoing. Oh, curious, but we're also lazy. So that's why we want the machines to basically take care of everything for us. But that could backfire. That's right. I got to get me a robot that can get me a a soda and a hot dog. Hell yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. (laughs) So, in an AI takeover event, it's described as a scenario in which artificial intelligence becomes the dominant life form of intelligence on the planet Earth. So, in some type of hostile technological conquest, robot machines and computers are able to wrestle control of the world away from us human beings. So, in order for such an AI apocalyptic event to happen, we would first have to design and create superhuman artificial intelligence. For those wondering exactly what AI is, it is defined by intelligence that is exhibited by machines. So, in computer science terms, it is any device that perceives its environment and takes actions that maximizes its chance of success at any given goal. So, simply creating AI is the goal to create a machine or program that thinks and functions in much of the same way that a human brain would, able to learn and solve problems on its own. Though we have made some advancements in regards to programming, there's still much research needed to create anything close to a superhuman AI. For the purpose of this discussion, though, we will go over the risk involved and what could go wrong once we do approach that stage, though. So in order for a super-intelligent AI to begin such a takeover, it would create its desire for dominance in a very logical way according to its purpose, whatever that may be. So the major rationalizations this machine would make for such a decision is... For example, better access to resources, eliminating outside forces that interfere with its purpose, and self-preservation. 
So for a simple example, perhaps one day we create a massive car-making factory with a super-intelligent AI in charge of everything within, as in every step of the automation process is done by this one all-knowing machine. Its purpose is to create as many cars as possible in the quickest time frame with the highest quality. Everything is set up in the factory, the super-intelligent machine is ready to go, so the humans just hit start and let it do its thing. Now, this is when things can get interesting, when suddenly the idea is born that this AI will soon take matters into its own hands at the expense of us humans. So, in order for it to complete its goal, this car-making AI could decide that it needs to expand globally, ensuring it has enough resources to complete its mission. It would look to target and have control over all of the metalworking factories, rubber and plastic manufacturers, everything down to the basics of mines and oil drills. It would look to take over every single possible resource in the world that it could use to fulfill its goals. In order to produce even more cars, it could try to expand its own factory more and more, spreading across the land, or perhaps take over every other car-making factory as well, eliminating anyone trying to stand in its way. So at this point in the future, it is believed by many that much of human lives would be automated by machines such as self-driving cars and smart houses. Though this smart AI could look to use this to its advantage, even in sinister ways. Every employee and associate of a rival car company, those in some type of power position who are against the use of AIs, maybe even random people who just don't like cars, all of these humans would suddenly be targets that must be eliminated. Perhaps their self-automated cars get hacked and send them dashing into the nearest tree or off a bridge, their homes or office buildings catch on fire, trapping everyone inside, or maybe their beloved robot nanny suddenly butchers them in their sleep, all on command from this suddenly rogue, super-intelligent artificial intelligence. If it had its own way, it would not stop till the entire world was under its control, every resource used to make its cars, and every human threat wiped out. So this is just one example, but the fear is the same in many different theories and scenarios that if a superintelligence machine were to come to the conclusion that humans were a risk to its own survival or a waste of resources, it would just make it one of its critical missions to cause human extinction. Dang. Mm-hmm. That's the scariest one yet. Yeah, it is pretty cr- And again, it's one that's brought on by human invention. Don't do it, people. We're bringing about our own doom. Don't do it. Don't do it. This is why I'm bad with computers. <laughs> I might I might do that on accident. Like accidentally start an AI F3 revolution or something. Yeah. And the world just implodes. So as we mentioned, much of this sounds like science fiction. And has been written about countless times before, even by some of the classic sci fi authors like Ray Bradbury, Isaac Esmov, and Orson Scott Card. However, as we continue to become more technologically advanced, the thought is we also become closer to creating such artificial intelligence. Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, and Bill Gates are a few of the notable individuals who have given warnings on the subject. So Stephen Hawking had said that success in creating AI would be the biggest event in human history. Unfortunately, it might also be the last unless we learn how to avoid the risks. In another quote, Hawking also gave a warning that AI could be out-inventing human researchers, 
out manipulating human leaders and developing weapons we cannot even understand. Dr. Nick Bostrom, who is a philosopher with degrees in physics, wrote a book about the dangers of such AI takeover, suggesting that if we do create a strong AI, it could wipe us off the face of the planet the moment it escapes our control. This machine would not use weapons of mass destruction to wipe us out at the risk of ruining the planet, as this could also jeopardize its own survival. Instead, it would use other methods, such as slowly starving us to death, using up all of our natural resources, or perhaps most disturbingly of all, capturing and breaking down human bodies to use our own biomass for its own purposes. Dr. Bostrom warns that a hostile AI of this power could potentially take control over the entire world in just a matter of weeks after it is created, possibly even days. Humans would stand virtually no chance of stopping it or slowing it down to stop it from causing total chaos everywhere. James Barrett, a writer and documentarian who has worked on a book detailing AI research, suggests that it could be in a smart AI's nature to compete with humans. And he argues that intelligent beings are innately driven toward gathering resources and achieving goals, which would inevitably put AI in competition with humans, since we use more resources on this planet than any other life form. And this type of competition could turn quite deadly if the AI took to drastic measures to fulfill its mission, such as the car-making AI example we used earlier. And Barrett writes that without meticulous countervailing instructions, a self-aware, self-improving, goal-seeking system will go to links we deem ridiculous to fulfill its goals. Right, so as scary as the possibility is of an AI takeover, it is still an issue that we will not have for quite some time. Uh, so humans are still far off from achieving an artificial intelligence even remotely smart enough and capable enough to do any harm to us. Uh, Dr. Maya Gupta who is a senior AI researcher at Google, has said, Our best philosophers and neuroscientists aren't sure what consciousness is. So how can we even start talking about what it means for a machine to be conscious, or how we could go about replicating that digitally? When asked about the possibility of creating true artificial intelligence, Gupta has said, I believe that it may be possible in principle, but just knowing the state of the art in AI, I don't see us getting anywhere close to those predictions at any time in the near future. Some people doubt that we will ever be able to create a machine that can think like a human can. The author Michael Kuros doubts that any of the algorithm programs, codes, or electronic systems will be able to mimic the process that goes on in an organic brain. So while this threat may be hovering in the background while we continue our research into AI, for now it would seem that we are in the clear and safe from things like Skynet and the machine prison of the Matrix. You know, I think the ideal AI takeover would actually be the Matrix-type scenario because at least we're completely unaware of the reality of the situation. So kind of like, what was that guy? Was it Cypher from the Matrix who actually wanted to go back into the Matrix and right. not know what was going on? So Where the real world is so bad that it's better yeah. to just live a life of illusion. Yep, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, I mean, you have that, but then you also have things like the Terminator, where basically they just kill almost all the humans and just lay waste to the entire Earth. 
and then others where they kind of just leave humans alone, but just take complete control over, say, the governments. And basically, they make the AIs will make all the decisions for humans, and we just need to carry it out. So we're kind of just like guinea pigs and the machine. But I think the one scenario that's probably the most terrifying is AIs that actually look like human beings. So kind of like the Terminator. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I had to die at anybody's hands, I'd want it to be a robot that looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. We can only wish. <laughs> yeah. As long as it's not old Arnold. Yeah. yeah. No one wants that. Young Arnold. Yeah. Anyways, time to time to go to bed and, and dream. <laughs> All right, so that's the end of this episode and discussion on a few more apocalyptic scenarios. If any of you listeners have your own thoughts and ideas on any of the things that we've talked about, or suggestions on future episodes, feel free to write to us at our email, strangematterspodcast at gmail.com, or send us a message on our Facebook group or through Twitter. And again, for any of you who feel so inclined to contribute to our little podcast project, um, you can do so at Patreon. And for anybody listening to us on iTunes, um, please leave a rating and a review. It really helps us to promote the podcast and really gives us good, useful feedback. So until next time at Strange Matters Podcast, take it easy, everybody. Bye, everybody.